chapter by chapter through the Bible, tonight chapter 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Proverbs. The author is Solomon. His subject is his concern for his son, that when he steps out and has to navigate, so to speak, through the channels of uh, this world and all that it entails, that he wants them to be prepared. And Solomon's book is primarily about wisdom. It's being written by, according to the Lord, the wisest man who ever lived outside of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So we're going to take our time. I don't know if we're going to make it through chapter 11 or not, but we will see how far we get. The first three verses of Proverbs 9. Now, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens, and she cries from the highest place of the city. Now, here we have an introduction, and Solomon is referring to wisdom as somebody that is is really well-fed and uh, actually has something to give. And we read here that everything that wisdom has to offer is going to be made available as it describes the fullness. The idea here is a full meal, a slaughtered her meat, a lot of meat to eat, mixed her wine, furnished her table. All you have to do is come up to the plate, so to speak, and receive it. And so we read in verse 3, she cries. Well, who's the she? The she would be a reference to wisdom itself. Wisdom cries from the highest place of the simple. So the first three verses is Solomon using this very poetic metaphor of the abundance that comes and is actually crying out. Well, who's, or she here, who's she crying out to? In verses 4 through 6, whoever is simple, let him turn into her. Now, when we think of simple, I want you to think of it in the most positive of terms. Not, a, not like a simple-minded person, but not, on the other hand, not a person who isn't arrogant or haughty. The idea of simple here is um, one who has that childlike faith um, that is ready to receive, open to receive. So whoever is simple will, will turn in to her. As for him who lacks understanding, now here's a contrast, it says to him, come, drink of my wine which I have mixed, uh, forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. So wisdom is crying out to who? Well, really anybody who will listen. So the idea is here an invitation. An invitation, Jesus said, um, all you that are heavy laden, come unto me, and I'll give you rest for your souls. It's an invite. The work has been done. The table has been set. All you have to do is respond. And in a very, very simple way, Jesus said, unless you become as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. The things that Jesus says he wants you to receive him, the way that a father talks to a young child, five-year-old boy, and his eyes are this big because dad's talking. And he's just an open book. And if dad says it, well, that's it. End of of discussion. My daddy said so. Therefore, it is. That's the idea here. The table is set. Who has this heart um, and has this understanding? Come on and eat. Well, that's exactly what Jesus said, is to uh, come and eat. 
And so we have this invitation. Verse 5, come and eat what? Come and eat of my bread. Again, you have to think, of course, I like talking about the Gospel of John because it doesn't matter if it's Nicodemus or the woman at the well. Uh, whatever person he's talking to, or Sunday I referred to the men who tried to accuse the woman caught in the act of adultery, and the Lord said, okay, he is without sin, cast the first stone, and he began to write. My point is he knew every one of those accusers, everything they ever said, everything they ever did. He knew everything about Nicodemus. He knew just how to witness the Nicodemus. He knew just how to minister to the woman at the well. And here he says, come and eat of my bread. Well, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and he who eats of me shall never hunger again. Everybody in life is trying to fill that void up with something. The woman at the well was trying to find it in a man. He was married five times, living with a guy, and she still was thirsty. And the Lord says, drink of that water, you're going to thirst again. And um, she was inquisitive of Jesus' interest in this living water. So come and eat my bread and drink of the wine which I have mixed in verse 5. Really here is a reference to the real wisdom that comes when a person comes to Christ. The wisest decision any person will ever make in their life is hearing the gospel and receiving it, The worst thing that could ever happen, and I'll talk about that very, very shortly, is hearing the gospel and and rejecting it. I'm going to put a whole different slant on on that in just a minute here. So six, let's look at six through nine. He says, forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. But he who reproves a scoffer gets shame for himself. Now he's talking to a simple person who's open-hearted, But now we find that um, there are those who hear and scoff when they hear the gospel. Uh, Whoever reproves a scoffer gets shame for himself, but he who rebukes a wicked man gives himself a blemish. He says, don't reprove a scoffer, lest he hate you. In other words, you're wasting your time. Uh, Rebuke a wise man, however, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he'll be wiser still. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. One of Solomon's teaching method here is in contrast between um, a simple man who is wide open to what the Lord would have for him. On the other hand, we have somebody who doesn't want to hear, and he will scoff at you rather than receive what you have to say. Now, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to this area of understanding our Lord Jesus Christ in the area of evangelism. We have this mindset that Jesus, well, let's let's turn to Mark 6, and I'll make my way up to these comments here. Picking it up on verse 10. The setting here is he's sending out the disciples And he called the twelve to him in verse 7 and said to them, I want you to go out two by two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bag, no bread, no copper, and their money belts. And to wear sandals and do not put on tunics. 
So two by two, just sending them out. And then he said to him, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you or hear you, he says, when you depart from there, I want you to shake the dust off from underneath your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil all who were sick and healed them. But please, please catch this. We don't think after sometimes, after we've shared with a person, sincerely, hopefully under the anointing of God's Holy Spirit, said, here's a simple gospel. It's being presented to you. I was sharing the gospel with a man today. And um, I spent a good 20 minutes in my office ministering to him. Um, actually, he's a good old friend. And, um, and yet when it came right down to it, he would not accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, I said, listen, my heart goes out to you. I don't want, I'm, I'm telling you these things because I know what's around the corner. The, the next thing that's going to happen is called the time of Jacob's trouble. And I just don't want you to, I'm concerned for you. I don't want to see you go through that. But I didn't take it a step farther as Jesus does here. Here the Lord is saying, not only do you shake the dust off your feet, you've given them, the Bible talks about casting your pearls before swine. What does that mean? Well, a pearl is something that's very, very valuable. And a swine is something that, especially in, in Jewish customs, is unclean and unfit. So, so don't waste your time taking something that's precious if it's going to be a scoffer or somebody who's going to blow you off completely. And then go the extra mile and explain to them, I have to walk away from you now. But I want you to know this, that because you've rejected this truth and this message, my Bible say it's going to be more tolerable for the people who died in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus really said that? Yeah, Jesus really said that. It says, and you tell them that. It's going to be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than this city. Well, why? Well, because when, wherever the Lord went, he did things that uh, the disciples were doing. He preached repentance. Um, he would heal the sick. He would cast out demons. And he healed them. So after seeing that witness and that testimony, and you still don't, come to the Lord, why don't people come to the Lord? I'm glad you asked that question tonight. Turn with me to John 3. What's the real reason people don't get saved after they hear the truth? Well, the Lord tells us when he was talking to Nicodemus, who he knew very well, verse 18 of chapter 3, we all know verse 16, Jesus said, he who believes in me is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already. See, the world's already lost and going to hell. Uh, Jesus came to save us from that because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now here it is in verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not want to come to the light. Why? 
lest his deeds would be exposed. You see, it'd have to change. There's certain things you're just not going to be able to do. And they know that. And so what's the real reason people harden their heart to the truth? Is that they don't want to leave the darkness. They want to stay there. And they simply harden their hearts to the Lord. Back to the book of Proverbs. So, in verses um, 7 through 9, we have a contrast between somebody who's simple, and is open, believes, and receives. And we also have those uh, who would be a scoffer. And um, I won't have you turn it, I'll just read it quickly. In Second Peter, chapter... Three. Matter of fact, I got it on the back here. <clears throat> we're told that in the times that we're living, a oh, quick story. I was talking to T. A. McMahon today about his sessions for the uh, um, past a prophecy conference, and um, he wants to talk on the subject of uh, the apostasy in the last days, but especially what's going on um, in addressing how rapidly our country is sinking. And he brought up the, the thing. He asked me what I thought about him speaking about homosexuality. I said, holy smokes, you, you don't know what you just said. Because <laughs> we've been dealing with it uh, almost on a weekly basis. And he says, Dwight, did you know that Christianity Today came out and endorsed um, transgender lifestyle and sex changes in a whole lot, nine yards? Truly, Christianity Today. And um, it's, it's a, here it is in the most known Christian quote-unquote magazine out there today. But like Tony Campalo and many others that are simply coming out and giving a green light for this and saying that you can live that lifestyle and still make it to heaven. And they scoff. Second Peter 3, verse 3 and 4, Peter says, Know this first, that scoffers will come. In the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, well, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So you're witnessing to your friends. You're saying, please, be reconciled to God. You may not get it, but we get what's coming down, and I actually am concerned for you. Um, believe the gospel. Um, repent of your sins. And turn to the Lord. You have, you're playing Russian roulette and you don't know it. Uh, you've been dumbed down by our society. I apologize for the church for not standing up and calling a spade a spade. This is sin, this isn't. And, um, uh, and Solomon in his wisdom will say if a person is going to be a scoffer, they're not going to hear you because they don't want to depart from the lifestyle that they're in. All right, next verse, verse 8. Um, do not reprove a scoffer lest he hate you. But a wise man, however, will listen, and he'll actually want more. When a person is exposed to truth, I could not get enough after reading The Late Great Planet Earth. I'd never heard such things in the early 70s. Blew my mind. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? The Bible tells things before it happens. And then it actually happens. Is that what you're telling me? I was very, very green. And um, I loved the Lord. But I had no idea it was coming again. And I had never heard a Bible prophecy. So my first exposure was the late great planet Earth, the number one selling book of the 70s. And um, 
it had a profound effect on the way I, I viewed things, and I wanted to know more about this area. And um, you think about wise men, the first one that comes to my mind is the Magi, probably trained by Daniel. They were wise men seeking the Messiah their whole life. Their whole life they studied, their whole life they looked at things that Daniel had told them about the generation that the Messiah would come in. And all that led them to Jerusalem where they were found what they were looking for. Unlike you two that still hasn't found what they've been looking for. You'd have to know you two to know what I just said, but somebody will explain it to you later. I want you to turn to Daniel. We're going to be on Daniel on Sunday. Turn to the book of Daniel, oh, chapter 12. The more, it says, reprove a wise man and he'll, he'll even want more. Give me more, fill me up, tell me more. So this is Daniel, he's been giving been given all these incredible revelations about the future. And the more he gets, there's some things he doesn't understand. And um, the Lord is talking to him. Our verses Sunday are going to be starting in, in verse 3 of chapter 12. Those who are wise, the book of Proverbs about wisdom, those who are wise are going to shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And we're going to talk about soul winning, the importance of witnessing, the importance of speaking uh, boldly to your friends. But in verse 4, but you, Daniel, I want you to shut up the words and seal the book. Notice, not forever, until the time of the end. At the time of the end, men will travel to and fro and knowledge will increase. We'll talk about that on Sunday. Then I, Daniel, looked, and um, uh, he, he, uh, we read in verse 6, and he said to one of the men clothed in linen who stood by the waters of the river, how long will the fulfillment of these things be? And then I heard a man clothed in linen of the waters whom he had held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever that it shall be for a time and times and half a times when the power of the holy people have been completely shattered all these things will be finished. It's a reference to God dealing with the nation of Israel in the last three and a half years of the tribulation where they're finally broken, no longer stiff-necked, no longer blind and they actually call on the Lord, and he says, although I heard, I did not understand. Now, this is where we're going to be on Sunday. I said, my Lord, what shall these things be? But he says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed, notice, until the time of the end. We know what's about to happen, and I'll tease you a little bit, hopefully pique your interest for Sunday's message, of some major pieces of the puzzle that are coming together real, real quickly that deal with Russia, the Ukraine in particular, the European Union, natural gas, and pipelines. Pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that Daniel, if the Lord would have told him, he wouldn't have understood. He says, go your way. You're not going to get it, Daniel. Nobody's going to get it until those things begin to be unsealed. And you go, holy smokes, look at that. There is a big signpost. 
That's where we're going on Sunday. So enough of a, a teaser with that. Um, Daniel was wise, and he wanted more. And um, if you're wise, then you're getting as much as you can whenever you can and uh, in feeding your soul. Anyway, that's for Sunday. Let's go back to Proverbs, a new thought beginning in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Reading 10 through 12 now. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life added to you. Now if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone are going to bear it. Where does real wisdom come from? Well, the fear of the Lord is just the beginning of it. Paul said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll speak wisdom to those who are wise. But he says, I'm not going to try to explain spiritual principles to somebody who's not even born again. They're not going to get it. And Paul says, neither can they. Only those who are born of the Spirit are going to comprehend or even have a desire for spiritual things. And if you're not born again, naturally, your only appetite is the things of the flesh. So that's all you're interested in. And so you, in your exuberance, try to explain to a person what you have, and hopefully what they recognize is this. It's one of the things that I recognize. Is I don't know what you have, but I want it. And uh, I met genuine believers, and I saw something different that they had, and I craved because I knew I didn't have what they had. Um, So that's what's being said here. It begins with the fear of the Lord and uh, his word and his terms uh, in in coming and making your peace with him. Um, Turn with me to John chapter 10. Where does real wisdom come from? And how can one know what God is like? The best answer to know what God is like is in your laps this evening Hebrews tells us that in times past, God spoke through the prophets. Sometimes he would speak through dreams. Sometimes he'd speak through visions. Sometimes he'd speak through an angel like Gabriel to Daniel. But then it says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us through his own son, Jesus Christ. So how does God speak to you and how do you know God? Well, we have his word. And he says, if you will study my word, you will know who I am. Let's look at John 10, verse 15. He says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, he's talking about you and me at this time, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. Then he says, this command I receive from my Father. So in other words, the whole reason, if we want to know about God the Father, you take it a step farther, go to verse 25, and Jesus says, I told you, And you did not believe. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name, 
they bear witness of me. But you do not believe me because you are not one of my sheep. He's talking to the Pharisees around him. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I will give them eternal life. They will never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Then he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And then he says, I and my father are one. What is God like? Jesus said, look at me. Everything that I do, I'm only doing because the Father told me to do it. And if you want to know how he is, then if you've seen me, he goes on to say in John 8, then you've seen the Father also. And um, so the revelation of um, where does real wisdom come from, the only way to obtain knowledge of God the Father is by looking at the life of Jesus the Son. Everything he said... Everything he did was simply in obedience to the Father's request. Even the tough stuff. Even stuff Jesus didn't want to do. I'm thinking of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means crushing place. That's where they had the olive presses. A lot, a lot of amount of olives, what do you have? A lot of olive trees, and there's olive presses there. And that's where Jesus was pressed. He was pressed to the point where he bled, sweat of blood. And he says, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. I don't want it. And, uh, but then he said, nevertheless, if there's any other way that you can save this world from, from, their, from their sins, then I, I, want that, I want that out. But there was no other way. So he submitted himself to something that he didn't want to do at that particular point. And um, that's an example that's set, set down for us. So where does this come from? The only way to obtain knowledge is really what we're doing tonight. Laboring in the word, getting to know it. The Bible says, in this case, primarily about wisdom. All right, back to to the Proverbs. Picking it up. 13 through 18. A foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest place of the city to call on those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, now this context of the word simple does mean feeble-minded or easily swayed. We might use the word pliable here. Uh, Will turn into her, and as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. So here, what we have, remember Solomon is speaking to his son, and he's saying, all these things that I've taught you so far about wisdom, how to attain it, how to live by it, he says, he gives him a warning now to apply this wisdom And don't be simple, don't be pliable. And there's a warning to what can actually disrail you, so to speak. Um, Knock you down. Uh, Make your, on Sunday we read the verse, reduce you to a crust of bread. By that one mistake, by turning in to this, what we have here is a foolish woman who obviously is a harlot of the night. And he warns his son, the, 
the, the consequences of following that, that route. So as we finish chapter 9, consistent with 6, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and now we can throw 9 in the, the, the mix too, is again the warning of um, the sexual relationship outside of marriage. All right, in chapter 10, um, it says Proverbs contrasting the godly and the wicked. And the first one says the Proverbs, plural, of Solomon. Solomon, all the Proverbs that he wrote aren't contained here because he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. He wrote 1,005 songs. He wrote the books of Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, the Proverbs. And then it says there's many other books on, on um, zoology and um, different um, books on animals uh, that aren't recorded in the scriptures but are told about that there's many other books that Solomon had. So as you look at verse 1, again he says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief of his mother. Well, you saw Paul Mall uh, on Sunday morning doting over Lennon, bragging on him, how proud he is of his boy. Saw Caitlin up here tonight with her parents as they want to pray for her and, and love on her and dote on her as she goes out. Um, um, this is what a wise son does, and he makes a father glad. But a foolish son is a grief of his mother. And, um, you know, he wants to be able to say that he's proud of his boy. And, um, and indeed they are. In verse 2, treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Um, the idea here is um, this being delivered and this, this fleeing, so to speak, um, let's turn to, I uh, have in my notes here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, the idea of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers. The idea of here is, is, is one who is fleeing from. So Timothy talks about fleeing from. And 1 Timothy, get it here real quick. Chapter 6, picking it up in verse 3. He's talking um, to his boy in, in chapter 9 about running from, from um, this seductress of the night. Paul, in writing to, uh, to Timothy here in verse 3, said, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, notice which is according to godliness. So now we have the righteous versus a contrast. Um, if they don't, he says he's proud, he doesn't know anything. He's obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy and strife, reviling, uh, suspicious, use, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the, the truth. Now notice that who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Uh, from such withdraw yourself. I don't know who I was listening to, but uh, Seifel Dollar, I, can't, I don't remember his first name. Uh, what is it? How is it? 
Cephalo? Creslo. Creslo, Freslo. Yeah? <laughs> Last name is Dollar. That much I know for sure. Well, he's pleading for, um, I don't know, like $50 million or some outrageous amount so that he can get a new, new um, uh, jet to get him around the country so he can uh, preach his gospel. So he's passing the plate for that. It's a prosperity teaching. It's a false doctrine. And what does the Bible say? There are those who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, they're in it, and the only reason they're in it is a means for them to make gain, to make money. Uh, from such withdraw yourself, okay? But godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, we brought nothing into this world. It's certain you're going to carry nothing out. And having food and clothing and these things, be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into many temptations and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And here's the verse. It's not money, it's the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil, which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, like Baal, Balaam, I should say, and they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But now he addresses Timothy. But you, O man of God, flee these things. And then turn around and run, not only run, expose them. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life. See that at the end of the road as the prize. To which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ, who witness a good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes. In other words, just stay the course. Uh, whatever state you're in right now, be content. Maybe you're really prospering right now. Great, praise the Lord. Glad, happy for you. Maybe you're flat busted. Don't have a dime to rub between your fingers. Uh, whatever state you're in, he said, learn to be content. And Paul went through all of it. He said, I, I, I've been there, I've been abounding, and I've been, I've been hungry for days and cold for many nights. And um, he says, but I, I count those things as nothing. They mean nothing to me. Because um, I gladly suffer those things. None of those things move me, he says. And when you, read, <laughs> when you read the list of what Paul actually went through, and he says, none of these things move me. You know, so much of the Bible is in preparation and talks about persecution. And now it's starting to happen. And um, should we be surprised? John 15, Jesus said, if the world hates me, don't think they're not going to hate you too. If you're going to stand up and tell people, look, there's only one way that you're going to make it. It's narrow and it's difficult. And if you don't compromise with the gospel, um, uh, it's a narrow, difficult way. Very narrow-minded and um, unable to uh, find common ground that adds anything to or takes any way, anything from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody want to give me an amen at that? That's where we're headed. And uh, staying the course is going to be a challenge for us as time comes. Anyway... 1 Timothy 6, going back to the Proverbs, um, Solomon in, in um, 
chapter 2 of 10, talks about the treasures of wickedness profiting nothing. And so he says, flee these things, Timothy. Um, Don't be a lover of money. If you have it, fine. Solomon definitely had a lot of it. 666 talents of gold a year is what came into him. All right, verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but be a hard worker. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish because he casts away the desires of the wicked. But he who deals with a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes one rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps in harvest is the son who causes shame. Um, Now again, I want to talk about what the Bible teaches about being a diligent, hard worker. So I know we're doing a lot of tossing around tonight, but I want you to turn to the New Testament again, this time to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. Give you a while to get to it. It's on page 1,223. If that's any help to you at all. All right, 2 Timothy 3, picking it up in verse 10. I did say 2 Thessalonians. Did I change my mind? What did I say? We're in 2 Thessalonians. What did I say? Ignore that first guy that was just talking. Listen to me instead. 2 Thessalonians. I'm sorry. Now I've got to give you an extra couple minutes to get to it. Verse 10 says, and he's talking about this work ethic. For even when we were with you, verse 10, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That's quite a rule. For we hear that there are some who walk among you who do this in a disorderly manner, not working at all. And all they're doing is being busybodies. They're just going around and gossiping and being busybodies. They're not working hard. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness, that they eat their own food. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anybody does not obey our word in this epistle, I want you to note that person. And I don't want you to keep company with them. That's pretty dogmatic, strong words, Paul. Mark a person and don't have company with him. Why? That he might be ashamed? That's not very Christ-like loving, is it, Paul? Yeah, it is. Yeah. If you're a believer, you should be the best worker in your position at work. Why, Why would you want to do that? Because you want, to, you want them to be open to what you have to say. You don't want them to, to be able to say he's a slacker. Uh, it's a terrible witness. And so if you're the best worker there, you got the respect of your boss, and um, he's proud of you. And he'll probably listen if you have something to say. And, you know, Paul takes it a whole other dimension here. Look, you don't work, you don't eat. It's that simple. He says, I hear, I hear there's people there that are just going around, just gossiping, blah, 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 blah. They're not doing any work at all. He said, don't let that be you. Don't, get, don't become weary in doing the right thing. Just keep on doing it. Be faithful. But as for that person who is a busybody, mark them. Don't have any fellowship with them. Why? So they'll become ashamed. 
and realizing that maybe they're doing something they shouldn't do. I have, I'm going to talk about two people just uh, to interject some stories here as we make our way through the, through the Proverbs. I talked to, uh, of course, we just got back from this grand staircase in Arizona. What a remarkable trip. We sent uh, Russ's um, book out to all the Calvary Chapel pastors in Wisconsin with a link to um, his channel where you can see World News Briefing, you can see David Hawking. David Hawking will be on Stand Up for the Truth this Friday. He'll be a speaker here at our conference. But uh, I'll mention two people, Russ Miller, and I talked to Bruce Carroll today. And I'll tell you a little bit about Bruce. We go back a long ways. But, and my friend Pat Gauhan, they, they have one thing in common. All these men, Russ was um, pretty much had it made his millionaire. He was ready to retire at the age of 48. He gave over his business that he had started at the age of 42. And he says, I just don't want to live my life for money. He says, I have a call on my heart. And um, uh, after spending a week with, with Russ, he's got this passion to explain the biblical account of the flood. And he's extremely knowledgeable and he just draws you in. But I know that it cost him something to do it. He lived on savings for seven years, and now he's just faith in it. He's just not, no, not going to stop. But the point is, he's just going paycheck by paycheck. Now, somebody who was a millionaire and is willing to put that aside for the sake of telling people about creation and the biblical account, that guy has my respect. All right, my friend Bruce Carroll um, um, I'll talk about the memories about Bruce Carroll in just a minute. But um, out of the clear blue, I get an email from Bruce, and, and um, we got reacquainted. And long story short, <clears throat> the last time I talked to Bruce, he, uh, he was one of, one of the guys that has more Dove Awards than I know from any Christian artist. And um, what I often tell gifted musicians who have a, a desire to make a name for themselves and they have the ability and talent to make it in the music industry in Nashville. I said, be careful. None of those Christian labels are owned by believers. It's all business. And you're going to have to compromise your message these days in order to make it in Nashville. Well, Bruce found this out the hard way. And after he had won all these Dove Awards, he's going out of town because he wants out of Dodge. He wants out of Nashville. Now, the story that he tells me is a hilarious one. As he's leaving, pulling his U-Haul with all of his Dove Awards in the back of his uh, U-Haul, the thing catches on fire, burns up everything inside, and, uh, and he says, there's my statement of Nashville and my so-called Dove Awards that he had. And for the next 15 years, he just wants to worship the Lord outside of Nashville. So he takes a position in this church. It's been there for the last 15 years. But he told me the story how it happened. That slowly it began to change, become more seeker sensitive. And he'd been doing it and he says, Dwight, I just couldn't take it anymore. He says, the day I resigned, I didn't plan on resigning. I didn't talk to my wife about it in the morning. He said, I just went in and I told the pastor, I can't do this anymore. 
I don't like the direction you're going in and I don't want to be a part of it. And I quit. Thing that was, now he was getting a nice big fat paycheck every week and all of a sudden that's not there anymore. So he said, me and Nikki are sort of faith in it. And um, I was sort of wondering where he was at. Sometimes musicians aren't known for, um, let's just say solid doctrine <laughs> and, and leave it at that. Uh, but he's like Chuck Gerard, and um, I started dropping a couple names like Warren Smith. I wanted to find out where he was at. But when he told me that he left, because he just couldn't, he says, they're compromising all over the place. I said, Bruce, you just made my day. And to leave that security and just say, I don't care. We'll walk by faith, but I'm not going to do that. I have respect for guys like that. My best friend, Pat Gahan, was ready to go to graduate school when he got saved. So it was either continue on with his degree in graduate school or join Shiloh and live communally and have $20 a month come into his, into his coffer. <laughs> and that was a choice that he made. Well, I have respect, a lot of respect for people who will be like Peter and get out of the boat. Are you tracking me when I say that? You know, all the disciples were in the boat, but only one of them got out and took that step of faith. And um, so um, Bruce is going to be with us uh, just for a little, he's going to come up for the Prophecy Conference, and he's also, after talking to him today, going to come up and he's going to do our Christmas concert for us. So if you're not familiar with, with Bruce, he, uh, uh, he's, I'll, I'll bring him up again in just a little bit. All right, so that's verse um, 11, back to Hebrews 10. And um, I left off, let's go to verse 3 through 5. Did we do 3 through 5 yet? Yeah, we did. Okay, so let's pick it up, 6 and 7. Blessed on the head are the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. And I like this verse here. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Well, it was Monday and Judy and I are having a lazy a Monday, we're just laying around the house, and and um, I thought, I'm going to check our website, just for curiosity, and I was checking out things here, the conference coming up, and then I saw it says, Our History, and I said, I haven't read this in such a long time, and it's my day off, I'm going to read it, and um, talk about taking a trip down memory lane, and uh, this is how, it says, Blessed is the memory of the, of, of the righteous. When you look back, you have all these great memories. Um, Mary wrote this up on our history, and I'm just going to read the meaning of the word nostalgia because uh, I waxed nostalgic as I was reading this. And I'm quoting, and I'm, I'm encouraging you. How many of you have ever read our history of Calvary Chapel of Appleton? Just raise your hand. Okay, now for those who didn't raise your hand, just do me a favor, and you'll, I promise you, you'll get blessed. Click on our history and read how we started and the things that we've gone through during the years. One of the things that I was reading about is when we were putting on the addition, uh, one of the additions in the back, it says, it says in there, we were having a Bruce Carroll concert, and we struck water in the building project and flooded the basement. Well, I remember that like it was yesterday. And Bruce is up here, and we're having panic attack because uh, we, we had a water, 
and it was coming into our, into our foundation. All right, well, here's the first paragraph of nostalgia. Within this generation, indulging in nostalgia has become somewhat of a national pastime. We think of the term nostalgia. It usually brings to mind uh, the most accepted and established usage of the word, that of something to do with the past, a sort of melancholy, dreamlike memory of some pleasant experience or simply a happier time in life. But the original word meant much more. It meant a strong desire to go home, a longing for something far away. Actually, the earliest form of the word actually meant he returns. And that's what the meaning of nostalgia literally meant. A strong desire to go home. How many of you had that tonight? A strong desire to go home. I want to go home. Sooner the better. Especially as it gets darker and darker. And I see Christianity today. But the original word actually meant to return home. Um, The memory of the righteous is blessed. And... um, and then I think of my dad when he got saved, and his, his words of conversion were, at the age of 50, he said, son, I feel like I've wasted my whole life. So realizing that only serving the Lord is really what matters, he came to that conclusion when he got saved. And, but dad had, he was 50 and 84 when the Lord took him home. So he had 34 years of being able to invest in the Lord, and, and he did. Okay, let's, um, let's go back. We left off with that. Verses 8 and 9. How's my time doing here? Well, I'm not going to get through 11, I'll tell you that. The wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. I've got to see how far I'm going with this one here. Eight and nine. So let's pick it up. Ten. Let's go through ten through twelve with it. Uh, he who winks with the eye causes trouble, but a prating fool will fall. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirs up strife but love covers all sins. And my cross-reference here is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And we can't read this <clears throat> chapter enough. Here it says that love covers sin. Turn with me to the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Not 1 Thessalonians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And read verses four through seven. It's all about love, gang. In chapter 12, you have all the gifts of the Spirit. In chapter 14, you have how these gifts of the Spirit should be used. They should be done decently and in order. But right smack between them, you have chapter 13, when it comes to the use of the gifts. And it sort of puts us in our place. And um, I'll, I'll read the first part of it. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery, 
and knowledge and know I have all faith so that I could even move mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to the feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, martyrs, but not love, it profits me nothing. Then we have the definition of what love is. What did Solomon say? Love will cover your sins. There's three things that the Bible says that God actually is. God is spirit, God is light, and what's the last one? God is, God is love. I mean, that, it was like a profound revelation one day when the Lord actually spoke that to me. And what he is, what God is. Someday, we're gonna see God face to face. And what you're gonna be looking at is the face of love. Meditate on that one just for a little bit. What's the definition of it? Four through seven is the definition of the love that covers your sin. For greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. That was demonstrated by how much love God has for humanity. The definition, love suffers long, is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it's not puffed up or cocky is the word I have put in there. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it's not easily provoked and thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. All these other things, the prophecies, they will fail, the tongues will cease. Um, whether it's the gift of knowledge, it'll vanish away. And um, so if we're not being motivated because we simply love the Lord and that's why we do what we do, not being motivated by money or success or fame or any of those things that the world pursues, um, the Bible says, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Well, how do I get that? Well, by reading 1 Corinthians 13 a whole lot and Jesus demonstrating, uh, actually demonstrating that. Greater love is no man than this. He laid down his life for us. So that's 10 and 12. I really want to get through at least chapter 10. I'm completely given up on 11, but we'll, we'll be able to get hopefully through this. Um, 13 through 17. Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding. But a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. The rich man's wealth is a strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. The labor of the righteous leads to life, and the wages of the wicked to sin. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses reproof goes astray. So in other words, the wise person here is continuing on. He wants more. Wise men stay the course, and they, they stick to this book. And it's one of my favorite Chuckisms. If it's true, it's not new, and if it's new, it's not true. This book doesn't change. And so here is someone who, who wants to keep instructions, and um, 2 Timothy 3.16, 
All scripture was given by God for instruction. That's what we're having tonight. Correction for reproof and doctrine. And it doesn't change from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And so adding to it or taking away from it is, is the danger here being implied. All right, 22 through 25. As we're getting close to our time. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. To do evil is like sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. The fear of the wicked will come upon him, and the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Jesus talked about a foundation, and I'm not going to turn there for the sake of of time tonight. Um, He talked in in the book of Matthew and in Mark. He began to speak the the parable of um, the man who built his house upon a rock, being a wise man. He said the storms of life came, beat against the house, And the house stood because it was built on a strong foundation. Verse 25 said, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. That's not going to be moved. And then Jesus said, but the foolish man is the one who hears my words and doesn't do them. The wise man is the one who hears this word that we're studying tonight and keeps them. But he says, the foolish man is like a man who built his house on sandy soil. Now the same storms came. So life is a mixture of both, storms and blessings, persecutions and great joy. Because you're a Christian, you're not exempt from persecution. So the same storms that happen to people that are saved are going to happen to people that aren't saved. Paul Cameron was telling me about somebody that we prayed for on, on Saturday morning, staff member's friend, just 53 years old, she slips in her bathroom, breaks her neck, and uh, she's going to be paralyzed for the rest of her life, just like that. Now, why would God let that happen? Well, it's just life. It just happens. It happens to the righteous, storms of life, and it happens to the unrighteous. I immediately thought of Joni Erickson, of course, at the age of 17. The same thing happened to her in a diving accident. But having to deal with that, when I heard that, you know what I said? I have no problems. I have no problems when I think of uh, something like that happening. So we can pray, remember to pray for this gal. But my point here, and I'll make this my last one because I have run out of time. We'll pick it up here next week. That the Lord has given us a strong foundation. What is, practically, what does, that, what does that bring to me? Well, it brings stability to my life. It doesn't rock my world when I go through a trial because I've been through a lot of them. And I know that the Lord is able to deliver me out of a trial. It's just part of being a Christian. The storms are going to come. But I know my foundation. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that do for me? Bring stability to my life. I have an anchor, so to speak, for my soul. Now, a person who doesn't have the Lord Jesus Christ and has to face the storms of this life in this world that we're living in today, it won't be much to cause him to become unstable in body, mind, and, and spirit and be very, very fragile. 
And when the, those storms come, he won't be able to maintain because he's built his house or his life on something other than this book. So in closing tonight, guys, you can walk out of this building tonight and realize God's word doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's got a lot to say about being wise and wisdom and gaining instruction and the importance of it. A lot of warnings against what to look out for that can actually disrail your walk and get you sidetracked. And it might take a while to get you back on track. So we're told to look out for that. Let's stand up. We'll close in prayer. As we made it almost to the end of chapter 10. I knew I was in trouble before I started. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures, for the Proverbs. And uh, as we see a father having a love for his son, wanting him to um, gain the knowledge that father wants to pass on down to his boy. Lord, we thank you that these things are written for all of us, and we want to be able to glean tonight uh, instruction from your word, and thank you for the foundation that you've given to us. We thank you that you change not, and we thank you that you've demonstrated your love for us on the cross at Calvary. And Lord, we just pray that you help us this night become a little bit more like you and a little bit less like us. And so as we go tonight, I just pray for these precious saints here and those watching live stream. Lord, you bless their day and their night. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.